Well, we've been studying the book of Exodus together for several months now, and over the past few weeks, we've looked at the instructions that God gave to Moses about the construction of the tabernacle, which we've seen was a, a dwelling place for God, a place where he would meet with his people. And now that the instructions are finished, we come to chapter 31. And so I, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, chapter 31 of Exodus. That's page 71 in the Pew Bibles. There are two parts to this chapter. In the, in the first part, verses 1 to 11, God empowers several individuals to, to actually build the tabernacle. He's given instructions. Now he's empowering his servants to construct it. The second part of the chapter, verses 12 to 18, God gives further instructions about the Sabbath. And we've talked about the Sabbath several times throughout the course of of our studies of Exodus, so I'm not going to focus on the Sabbath today. I really want to focus on that first part of the chapter, verses 1 to 11, God equipping people to build his dwelling place. And so I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. You can follow along in your Bibles. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help as we come to his word this morning. Our God and Father, we praise you this morning for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. He is our light and life. In him and through him, we are being made new. We thank you for the gift of the church, the body of Christ. We thank you for the privilege of being part of this beautiful, glorious, and, and messy thing that you are creating, a community of people um, who are your dwelling place. And so we ask that you would speak to us now through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about a building program. And don't worry, you don't have to take out your wallets. We're not unveiling a, a giving thermometer here on the wall this morning. I grew up in a church with one of those. I think I have PTSD from it. Um, the, the building program that I'm talking about is God's building program. Uh, God is building a dwelling place for himself on this earth, and it's called the Church of Jesus Christ. And God's dwelling place, when we use that terminology, it's not to be confused with with this facility here, or any other church building. 
I mean, this building here at the corner of 11th and Redwood, it's a, it's a wonderful resource. We're thankful to have a building of our own to meet in Sunday by Sunday. But this physical structure itself is not the church. Uh, it's not God's dwelling place. You are. You see, it's, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that, that in Christ and by the work of the Spirit, we, the, the people of Christ, believers, are being built into a dwelling place for God. The dwelling place of God is the community of believers united to Christ and to each other by His Spirit. And, and the Old Testament tabernacle that we've been considering over the past few weeks it was a physical, tangible preview, really, of who and what we are as God's dwelling place in Christ. And so as we come to chapter 31 today, we see that God empowers his people to build his dwelling place. He, he enlists us as co-workers in his building project. And so what does it mean to be equipped by God to build his dwelling place? Well, three things, and and in some ways these are very basic, but very important for us to understand. Number one, God works through you to build his dwelling place. Number two, God gives you an important role to play. And then third and finally, God gives you gifts to exercise. So first, let's consider that, that God works through you to build his dwelling place. Now, we tend to pit divine action and human action against each other. For example, someone recovers from an illness and, and we ask, well, did God heal them or did the doctors or the medicine or the, or the treatment cure them? It's a false dichotomy. Um, yes, God does heal miraculously. God heals at times apart from any human involvement whatsoever, but ordinarily he uses means you know, medicine or, or chicken noodle soup and rest, uh, whatever it may be. He's no less at work in those cases than he is in a, in a dramatic display of his power. And likewise, God could have simply spoken the tabernacle into existence, but instead he, he gave his people instructions. And not only instructions, he empowered specific individuals to carry out the work. Look at verse 2 again. We read, uh, the Lord speaking to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship. And then similarly, verse 6, Behold, I have appointed with him a holy ab, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Now, we don't know a whole lot about these two individuals, Bezalel and Aholiab. Um, there's, we have what we're told here. There's a few uh, further brief mentions in later chapters, but they're both skilled craftsmen. And Bezalel seems to be the, the chief craftsman, the one who's given overall uh, responsibility for the construction of the tabernacle. Aholiab appears to be the assistant. And notice in verse 2 that, that God says he's filled Bezalel with his spirit to equip him for the work. And so we, we see this dynamic all throughout Scripture that, that God works through his human servants to do his work. You, you think back in Eden, God commissions Adam and Eve to exercise dominion 
rule over the world. God, the king, exercises his rule through his human agents. You think of Jesus in Matthew 16. He says, I will build my church. But then later, after the resurrection, he tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, who's going to build the church? Is it, is it Jesus or is it the apostles? Well, it, it's not either or. It's Christ working through his people. And even Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15, I've worked harder than anyone else, as he talks about his apostolic ministry, his, his missionary endeavors. I have worked the hardest. And so we might read that and think, okay, well, the credit goes to Paul, right? I mean, he's the one who did this. Not quite. He, he goes on and says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And so, so God works through his people. And here at Grace Bible Church, we have a very robust doctrine of, of God's sovereignty. He's absolutely sovereign. He accomplishes all of his purposes, all that he pleases. Nothing can thwart God's purposes. Um, nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens apart from his providence. And, and that's really a beautiful truth, a, a comforting truth, especially when life is not easy or the future is uncertain. But it's also a truth that's easy to misapply as we think about God, the sovereign one, accomplishing his purposes. I, I, I think of the 18th century pastor, English pastor, William Carey, known as the father of modern missions. And there's a story told about him talking with fellow ministers, fellow pastors, about his plans to go to India as a missionary. And he's really trying to, to get their, their support and to stir them up to be engaged in missions. And, and one of the older ministers hears him out and finally just um, grows exasperated and, and responds to Carrie, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. And you see, th that man took the idea that God is sovereign and he does what he pleases, but he, but he twisted it into an excuse for passivity. And, and you know this happens in other ways too. Uh, maybe you've met someone who, who doesn't work because they, they're just trusting God to provide. Uh, they don't seem to realize that God's already provided them with, with legs and arms and hands and a brain um, to work and provide for themselves. Well, what does all this mean for us? God works through his people. Well, it's simply this. If, if you're a Christian, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, God has given you the privilege of being his co-laborer in his work in this world. And he works through you as an agent of his blessing, as an agent of his grace in this world. Um, we see here in the passage in, in Israel... Bezalel was uniquely filled with the Spirit to do God's work. But in the church, every believer is indwelt and empowered by God's Spirit. God works through each and, and every one of his people to build up his dwelling place. And, and we'll talk more about that in a moment in the next point. What it means is your work, the love that you show to fellow believers, the, the good deeds that you do, for the people of God, it all matters. It, it matters uh, intensely. The, the things you do in dependence on God and empowered by His Spirit 
are the means he uses to beautify his dwelling place. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, sure, that's true for for some Christians. You know, maybe the the pastors, maybe the deacons, the missionaries, but, but not me. I don't have anything valuable to offer. Well, that leads to the next point, point number two. God gives you an important role to play in building his dwelling place. You see, every believer, every church member has been given an important function in the life of the church, not, not just the elders. You know, the text here in, in Exodus 31 focuses on two specific individuals God appointed in Israel. But in actuality, there, there were many others involved in the building of the tabernacle. Verse 6 talks about not only Aholiab, but all the other skilled workers the Lord had gifted. Later in chapter 35, we learn that there were many women who were responsible for the manufacture of fabric for the curtains in the temple and the, and the high priestly garments. Um, it, also in chapter 35, large numbers of men and women, and, and chapter 35 takes a long time to, to recount this, large numbers of men and women uh, contributed all kinds of materials, gold and silver and bronze and, and other things. So there's a sense in which we could say the, the whole covenant community was engaged in the work of building God's dwelling place, not simply a select few. And, and the same is true in the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses that, that well-known metaphor, that well-known picture of the church as a human body. And you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12 for a moment if you want. Um, in, in this section in chapter 12, he, he says that Christians, individual Christians, are like the various parts of the body. And there in, in chapter 12, verse 14, he, he makes the entirely obvious but important point that the human body is not made up of one part only. It's made up of many parts, every organ, every eye, every limb, um, the hands, the feet, even the pinky toe um, play an important role in the health and wholeness of the body. And, and Paul emphasizes in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that every member matters by means of, it's really, I, I think, a humorous dialogue between different parts. Uh, we've got talking feet and talking ears, and you can look there at, at verse 15. He says, if the foot should say, so in your mind, picture a foot talking. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, so talking ear, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? That would be a grotesque body, wouldn't it? A body just made up of eyes. Um, If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, and this is important, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And so, so Paul's bringing out this important point that, that there are different functions within the church, the body of Christ, but each part, each member plays an essential and unique role in the body. And he actually goes on in, in verses 21 and 22. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. In other words, there's no competition between, you know, the the eyes and the ears or the hands and the feet. Um, You know, eyes are for seeing, hands are for touching, and neither can do what the other does. And so it is in the church. Every member, every believer has an important contribution to make. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're sitting there, well, thinking to yourself, well, how can I really know that God has given me an important role in the church? Well, it's really simple. If you're a Christian, you've been incorporated into the body of Christ, therefore, you have an important role. Every part contributes to the whole. To, to think that you do not have a function in the body of Christ is really to say that you don't belong to the body of Christ. And, and perhaps you're thinking, well, okay, I'm a part of the body. I'm probably just an appendix. <laughs> you know, I'm useless. Um, there are no useless parts. It's true, medical science hasn't really figured out yet what the purpose of the human appendix is. That doesn't mean it has no purpose. We just haven't discovered it yet. Now, there are different functions in the church, and, and really, you know, some members are more visible. And often it's, you know, the ordained ministry done by pastors, done by deacons, that, that gets more recognition just because it's, it's, you got somebody standing here talking to you. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's more important. That doesn't mean that, for example, what I'm doing is necessarily more important than, say, just the, the gift of encouragement, where you, you quietly, without fanfare, encourage your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, we tend to measure value and importance by how much recognition someone receives. You know, if you have a large following on social media, you're a big deal. You're an influencer. You, you matter. All the other uh, peons don't. But, but that's not the way it is in the church. You matter because you belong to Christ. And, and God has shaped and fashioned each one of you in a unique way. And he's given you certain gifts and certain abilities, and we'll talk more about that in a few moments, but he's, he's given you these gifts and, a, and arranged you and every other believer in the body of Christ in such a way that, that together as a whole, we bring God glory. Have you ever noticed, if you've, if you've read through the book of Acts, that, that Luke not only highlights the exploits of people like Peter and Paul, you know, apostles, um, but also he also draws attention to ordinary Christians doing ordinary things. Uh, Luke had to be selective in what he included in the book of Acts, and he takes time to highlight, for example, a woman named Tabitha. And what great uh, exploit did she do for the Lord? Well, she sewed clothes for poor widows. And of all the people Luke could have written about, here he, he chooses an ordinary church member using her sewing skills to benefit other people. And that says something about who's important in God's kingdom. Or you have Lydia. What did she do? Well, she was single and wealthy, and she hosted the church in her home. Or back when we studied um, Philippians, you remember a man named Epaphroditus. What, what great thing did he do? 
Well, he was he ran an errand essentially. <laughs> he he delivered goods, he delivered financial goods and probably clothing from the church in Philippi to Paul when Paul was in prison. You see, important ministry doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be something that gets a lot of attention. It can look like making a meal for someone after they come home from the hospital. It it can look like meeting someone for coffee so that you can talk and and pray for each other. It can look like um, greeting people with a smile as they arrive on Sundays and you hand them a bulletin. God has given each of you, each and every member, each and every Christian, an important role to play in the body of Christ. And So what is your role? Well, part of the answer to that question is, is recognizing that God gives you gifts to exercise. And so God works through you to build his dwelling place. God gives you an important role to play in the church. And then third and finally, God gives you gifts to exercise. So God gives every believer a function in the body of Christ. And to that end, he equips every believer with spiritual gifts. Well, when we talk about spiritual gifts, what, are, what do we mean? What are we talking about? Uh, let me just give you a very simple definition. A spiritual gift is a, a God-given ability empowered by His Spirit for the purpose of serving others and building up the church. So a God-given ability empowered by the Spirit for the purpose of serving others and building up the church. And notice again in our passage uh, God not only calls Bezalel and Aholiab to build the tabernacle, he, he gives them various gifts, skills, abilities for the task. In, in verse 3, God says he's filled Bezalel with the spirit and with ability, intelligence, knowledge, craftsmanship. He, he gave him wisdom. He gave him knowledge and, and the technical skill needed for this very task that God had appointed for him. Verse 4 God, God also gifted Bezalel with artistic imagination, with, with metalworking skills, stone-cutting skills, woodworking skills, every kind of skill that he would need to create this, this glorious, beautiful structure that we've been studying the last couple weeks. And, and likewise, in chapter 35, when, when the work actually starts, we read that Bezalel and Aholiab were often oft, also gifted by God to teach others these skills. And so God equips them. On our church membership applications, we ask people what their spiritual gifts are. And a very common response is, I don't know. (laughs) I don't think I have any. And and maybe that's how you feel sitting here this morning. Well, I I have good news for you. I've said it numerous times. I'm going to say it again. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. God, God gives every believer gifts. First Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Each has received a gift. And that's true whether you're a new Christian, an old Christian, um, single, married, retired, still in school, whatever the case may be. Spiritual gifting is not reserved for some special class of Christians, you know, a priestly class of Christians. Spiritual gifts are part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. The ascended Christ, Ephesians 4 says, has poured out gifts on his church. 
Well, what kinds of gifts are we talking about here? And you may know there are many lists of gifts in the New Testament, and and no one list is comprehensive. They're they're really just uh, suggestive or representative of the kinds of things God has gifted people with in his church. Uh, Let me just go through some of these. I'm not going to give you all the references. Um, I can later if you want them. But the lists include things like speaking gifts, uh, preaching, teaching, exhortation. Uh, some gifts are more oriented around serving others in practical ways. And so the New Testament talks about things like hospitality. It talks about things like acts of mercy, which are really um, involves providing aid to those in, in need. Uh, it talks about the gift of giving. God has blessed some with abundance and an eagerness to share, and, and they excel in that way. Uh, there are administrative gifts, there are organizational gifts, there are leadership gifts, and the examples could really be multiplied. You know, there are musical gifts, there's, there's writing gifts, um, artistic gifts. Uh, some are especially gifted at being a friend. I mean, we're all called to be friendly and to be, to be friends, but some are just especially suited for that task. Um, some are especially gifted at being an encourager. Um, some, they pray for others. Again, we're all called to pray, and yet some can devote themselves to that more fully. And so God has He's blessed his people. He's blessed his church with a great variety of gifts. Just like his grace is varied, uh, he has blessed his people with a variety of abilities. Why? Why does God gift his people? You know, gifting in the church, it's different than, than TV programs like American Idol or, or America's Got Talent, if you've seen these, these things. Um, you know, here you have a stage, you've got lights, and an individual stands up on the platform and, and performs, you know, sings or plays an instrument or something, um, seeking recognition and applause. But being gifted by God isn't about drawing attention to ourselves. It's not so that we can just display for everyone, hey, look at me, look at what God's given me, look at what I can do. It's about doing good to others. It's about God getting the praise. First um, Peter 4, again, which we heard in the scripture reading, verses 10 and 11 capture this so well. Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very great, varied grace. And we ask why? why? Why these gifts? Why use these gifts? Peter says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So use your gifts to serve each other so that God would receive the glory. Well, how can you figure out what your gifts are? There's really no one-size-fits-all answer. And I know that um, spiritual gift inventories are are common. Uh, I'm not sure that they're all that helpful, actually. Um, Let me give you three suggestions for how to figure out what your gifts might be. And this really comes from things that Jerry Bridges has written. Number one, consider your natural abilities. So, so think about what you naturally are, are gifted at, your personality, your temperament. You know, both natural abilities and spiritual gifts come from the same God, and often there's overlap between the two. You know, perhaps 
you are quite skilled with working with tools, building materials, electrical systems. On the other hand, maybe you would have no idea what to do with a hammer even after watching a YouTube video about it. It's just not, not your gifting, but maybe you can teach effectively. And that's not to say you can't be gifted in both areas. But, but those natural abilities might indicate something about what the Lord has gifted you to do for his people. Or second, consider how God has providentially led you. you know, what kinds of opportunities for service um, has he given you? in the past? What, what have you tried to do? What kinds of ways have you served in the past? How did it go? <laughs> did it seem to be a good fit or was it a complete disaster? Uh, though There might be clues there. Uh, final suggestion, get feedback from others. And this is part of the beauty of, of the body of Christ. Sometimes we can't see clearly how the Lord has gifted us, but others can. Uh, conversely, they, can, they might be able to tell us how he's not gift, gifted us. Um, talk with people who know you, people who know you well, people you've served with. Uh, go to, to wise and mature Christians and see if they can give you guidance. Also, you can come to me or any of the pastors. We would love to sit down with you and help you think about how the Lord has gifted you. You know, there, it doesn't have to be some dramatic thing. Uh, my path to learning about my gifts, that I, that I have gifts in the area of teaching and preaching, was not dramatic. I had an interest. I was given opportunities. I got positive feedback from pastors I worked with, from churches I've been a part of. There was no voice from heaven. There was no Damascus Road experience. It was just ordinary. So God has given you gifts to exercise in the church. And, and God is building this uh, a dwelling place for himself. Uh, he's building this temple for his presence that's more glorious, more beautiful, more permanent than any cathedral you could find in Europe. Uh, one that radiates his grace and his glory through Jesus Christ. And he invites us, his people, to participate with him in this building project. He works through you and me to fashion his dwelling place. He's given each one of you an important role to play. He's gifted you with abilities to use for the good of his people. He's equipped you to serve him and to serve his people. And I know at this point you're probably waiting for the guilt trip. You've heard many sermons about serving, about gifting, about being involved in the church. And so you're waiting for me to say, you know, you're not doing enough. Stop being lazy. There's so much to do. Why don't you, you know, are you really devoted to the Lord? What are you doing with yourself? I guess I said it, but I don't mean it. <laughs> it's true. There's lots, there's lots of need here at Grace Bible Church, but I'm not going to just put a guilt trip on you. You know, guilt trips aren't really all that effective, are they? It might get you, okay, might convince you to go sign up for something, but it's not going to keep you going. It's not going to um, help you serve joyfully and faithfully. Instead, I, I want you to be excited about what God is doing in the world, and particularly here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, his word tells us he's building something beautiful. He's building something glorious here in our midst, a community of people who are being made new in Jesus Christ, a community of people who are united around the gospel and learning to follow Jesus 
together. He's making us into his dwelling place. And he, and he gives you the privilege of not only being a member of that dwelling place, but to be part of the process of, of building it, of beautifying it. And I want you to come away from today thinking, I really need to get in on this. I, I want to be a conduit of God's grace and blessing at Grace Bible Church. Now, no doubt there are some here who really aren't engaged in the life of the church, if, if not Grace Bible Church, um, and not somewhere else either. And, you know, maybe you're here on Sundays, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But, but that's really the extent of it. You, you come and you listen and, and you leave. And, and I want you to ask yourself, why is that? There could be all kinds of reasons. You know, is it because you don't want to serve Christ and his people? Is it because you're not sure what your gifts are? You're not sure what the needs are and where you might um, be able to help? Is it maybe because you've had bad experiences in the past, perhaps at at other churches? I, I want you to realize that, as Peter says, we're called to be stewards of God's grace gifts, these, these gifts that he's entrusted to us for a purpose, for, for the good of his people, for the glory of his name. And, and GBC really can't grow into that, that beautiful dwelling place of God by his spirit unless each one is exercising the gifts the Lord has given. Now, if you're not sure what your gifts are, or you don't know where you'd best fit. I'm going to give you some very uh, profound uh, counsel here. Just start doing something. (laughs) Go ask people what the needs are and and volunteer to help somewhere and give it a try. See, See if it's a good fit. If it's not a good fit, go find something else to do. There's no shame in that. There is really a trial and error process. Just start. Just serve. See what the Lord might do. And and maybe you do know what your gifts are, and you wish that you could be more engaged, but because of life circumstances right now, you just can't. And that's okay. Embrace the Lord's providence. Embrace you know the the season that He's brought into your life. And there may be other ways to bless Grace Bible Church. I, I mentioned already praying. You know, the more people praying for Grace Bible Church regularly, the better. That. Don't think that all I can do is pray. I'm sorry. I wish I could do more. (laughs) Prayer is a significant ministry. And and then lastly, many of you are serving faithfully. And you've been serving faithfully for a long time. And and GBC is more beautiful because of it. And so, thank you. (laughs) Keep at it. And the Apostle Paul would say, know that your work in the Lord, what you do, in, out of your faith in Christ and, de, and in dependence on the Spirit is never in vain. Never in vain. The Lord sees it. He knows it. He, he values it. And so may God continue to build us together into his dwelling place in Christ by his Spirit as we use the gifts and the abilities that he's blessed us with. Let's pray. Our God and Father, again, we thank you that you've not only forgiven our sins, you've enabled us by your grace to be a part of what you're doing in building a dwelling place for yourself. We pray that you would help us to know and to use and to steward well 
the, the gifts and the abilities that you've given us. We pray that uh, you would use us, Lord, to encourage your people, to serve your people, to see your dwelling place beautified with love and good works. Would you empower us by your Spirit so that you get the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.